midweek already. I guess uh, evening naps are becoming more of a norm. Is that a sign that I'm old? <laughs> Russian invasion meant to deplete U.S. and NATO arsenal? Good question. Uh, don't need writers, uh, but if you want to push a narrative, how else would you do that? Add revenue? Net zero doesn't mean there won't be pollution or extra heat in the future. And if you want a good workout, stand on a bunch of towels. Hmm, what an odd segue. Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. I'm Stephen Sirsky. And uh, yeah, I was reading quite a few news articles today uh, published by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, got me thinking about this, uh, again, back to this Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine, but also um, some of the, the repercussions of things that could happen as a result. And there is criticism so far of Russia's well, criticism and boasting and everything of um, Russia's failure to, to take Kiev and to take uh, Ukraine in short order. But if you recall that there was this guy on Lex Friedman saying that uh, Lex Friedman's podcast um, saying that there was uh, Russia seems to be playing the long game. So this article I was reading today uh, is about BAE, which is a British um, military or arms manufacturer, and the U.S. Army potentially restarting uh, what's it the Howitzer M777. This article struck me. I mean. When I first saw the headline, I thought that the BAE and uh, the U.S. Uh, military were going to uh, manufacture these things in Ukraine. Because I've been saying that, you know, if Ukraine wants to be at all sort of an independent nation, sovereign nation, protect its freedom and everything, it's got to start manufacturing its own arms. Uh, I thought that's what they, they're going to do, that these things were manufactured there. Not a, No, that's not it at all. It's that the these the US military that owns the contracts or the rights to uh oh foreign sales so the US government must approve any foreign sales um US army runs the weapons program uh but the con uh, the company is the contractor that makes these things so these howitzer M777s have been deployed in Ukraine have been sent to Ukraine uh and have uh as this article says seen quite a bit of success this whole article is very jarring not because they're restarting the you know the manufacture of these things but because it talks about this whole war in a very uh financial way and you know a couple days ago i was going on about how people you know if you think this is a proxy war um between the u.s and russia you're, you're wrong uh, and i still believe that but the way that this article is talking about the development of the M777 howitzers, these howitzers, uh, M777s, whatever it is. Anyway, it just seems like that this war in Ukraine is a display of technology and that the Russian arms manufacturers are going to see less orders for their stuff because it's not holding up against the Western U.S.-backed, um, often available in NATO countries, supplies. It's almost like those videos that say sound on when they're cutting a piece of meat those ones also disturb me I, I, it's like you don't need to boast about it you don't need to brag about it I, um especially I, I i'm not vegetarian i'm not vegan uh but uh you know boasting that 
that that sound that you get when you're you know cutting a piece of meat it's just it's a bit disturbing when you think of it that way to tell you the truth um, at least when I think of it that way and going back to these this this article this uh, weapons development program it, it's very odd very disturbing to hear people talk about um, manufacturing these weapons because oh well look at how good they are look at how well they're performing in Ukraine so that's one part of it the other part is that a lot of Twitter and a lot of uh, Ukrainian supporters are saying, give everything to Ukraine. Provide them whatever they need. Whatever it, whatever it takes, it's got to be supplied to Ukraine. What if? You'll recall that Russia and China met prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. If there wasn't some sort of strategy planned, then one of those two parties wasn't actually showing up to the table. This article points out the simple fact that for every bullet fired, every missile uh, fired, and every weapon deployed in Ukraine that's sent there from another country, be it uh, a NATO-allied country, um, another friendly country, or the U.S. itself, even Canada, is one more weapon out of their stockpiles. Again, going back to that comment about if Russia is playing the long game, and Russia is manufacturing its own uh, its own weapons, its own artillery, if it's going through its old old equipment, its old supplies, does that mean that they are developing new stuff? Maybe, we don't know. But what if the goal, one of the ideas, was to slowly bleed the Western military system of its weapons, of its weaponry, put them all in a concentrated place in Ukraine, and, I mean, dare we believe that a nuke, go nuclear, take out a bunch of that stuff, all of a sudden, not only is there a hole in Ukraine, and, you know, Slava Bohu, that doesn't happen, but uh, now all of a sudden the Western world sees a massive dent in its uh, arms stockpile. Russia doesn't have much more, but, I mean, maybe Russian allies all of a sudden come to its its defense. All of a sudden, they have orders or military equipment that's available for for use for Russians to use in Ukraine or elsewhere. So it's a little bit, this article, I mean, again, disturbing to read about how uh, these military systems, these uh, arms and these supplies and stuff like that uh, are being viewed in the light of their effectiveness in the battlefield. When like you can see these videos of people uh, getting injured, maimed, killed, um, and everything and on both sides, to to read an article like this, I mean, it is to me it is disturbing. Maybe that's a good thing. It shows a little little bit of humanity. Uh, at the same time, I can't help it. At the very end of the article, it says, "Yeah, every every uh, munition that's sent from either NATO or the United States or another ally of Ukraine." is one less munition in their stockpile, which means how fast can they replenish those stocks if another war to break out, if another skirmish, if another battle were to break out somewhere else? I mean, you have the European theater. Could there be another theater somewhere else? That's that's sort of what this uh, article is, uh, is pointing at. And then this got me. I was listening to this uh, article... Um, the new energy 
order. And this was published on, let me just verify the uh, actual title, the New Energy Order. Yeah, this was published by uh, on uh, Foreign Affairs. And this one talked about how uh, the United States, in particular, has to um, rejig its energy dependence, uh, not just uh, for... Uh, in terms of like oil and stuff like that, but in terms of everything like solar, it has to start really taking further steps. Not not for climate change, for in terms of energy dependence, energy use, and energy manufacturing. The West, U.S. and the West needs to rethink and redeploy methods to keep itself energy. Um, sufficient, sustainable. Uh, if it doesn't do that, uh, it's going to happen, you know, where, like Russia was supplying 47% of Germany's energy needs. Like th- That is not something they want. Keep in mind, a couple weeks ago, I was talking about this move to solar. The move to solar requires things like lithium, manganese, cobalt, all of which are not currently readily available in Western United States, in Canada, in Europe, in European markets. If they were to shift dependence to solar, one of the biggest developers of solar technology is China. If that switch from energy, from fossil fuels to solar or to renewables happens and it requires technology that's manufactured in China or processed in China, then they have literally just shifted from uh, imagine Europe depending on Russia. Now all of a sudden the U.S. is dependent on China for its energy needs. Not exactly what they're going for. And I hope some of these people are seeing this. And this is what this article was talking about: uh, is that there needs to be another sort of a reformulation of um, energy um, use and energy, uh, which get innovation as well to keep the West sort of uh, sustainable and independent. For its own energy needs. Two things about this. Number one, remember Trump when he was in office? This whole thing, and I was even back then. I was saying you know, the the media hated the guy. He was a New Yorker. He wasn't a politician. He was a business guy. He was a former media uh, starlet, star, whatever, um, attention grabber. <laughs> Western uh, the Western United States media hated the guy, and they went to town just trying to rip him apart. What if, in the modern age especially, it hasn't gotten easier, if you didn't like somebody, and you want to create a media attack on somebody, how would you do it? You might say, well, you pay some people. But that's almost too obvious, especially nowadays. It's The media isn't that closed off. We'd like to think... That there's, you know, the big mainstream media, the big 5M, uh, M5M or whatever it is, mainstream media that is controlling everything. And to an extent, that, I mean, that, that's very true. And I haven't heard anybody else talk about this. But it's not, is it the writers? Is it the media who are going for clicks and everything? Okay, but let's follow that. If they're going for the clicks and the eyeballs and the ads, uh, ad revenues and the ad uh, generations and stuff like that, does that mean if... We know that Twitter and places like that are full of bots. And if ad revenue is dependent on eyeballs, on click-through rates and stuff like that, and ad payments and stuff, does that mean 
if someone was so inclined, they could create a bot army that could access websites that display or contain targeted keywords, which then bring raise the value of those keywords in ad costs, therefore raising both, both the revenues and the profits of the ad sellers and increasing the impressions and the potential eyeballs that these media companies are attracting. What I'm saying is, someone publishes a blog post, they put some word in there that uh, another player around the world says, I'd like to target that word and make it go viral, make it trend. That other player around the world creates a bot network that hits that page, and it seems as if that page is getting a lot of attention. As a result, the ads on that page go up in price. Ad sellers are happy. Uh, ad buyers might not be so, might, are also happy because they're seeing a return on their investment, but are they seeing any more order flow? No one's talked about that. Order flow through these ads, these clicks. I mean, so the media is, the whoever published the blog, po- blog post, not the writer, but the company sponsor, and then by company sponsor, I mean like the brand name hosting that blog post. The, the writer get the, the writing monkey gets his hourly wage as they do, or some annual salary, whatever. But their blog post goes viral because these bots are hitting the page, raising the ad price, raising the impression, raise, is it raising the click through rate on the ads? No information on that. No information on the sales. Which ones are being sold? Do do people even care? Could someone program a botnet that would then push whatever targeted keywords they want to the fore just using a computer? They don't need to pay the writer. The, The writer gets paid because, oh, look at I wrote an article that went viral. I wrote a blog post for the whatever time, small town USA times. It went viral. I have this many impressions. I have this many followers. How many of them are real? How many of them are actually paying money for whatever, for a Substack account? Okay, that's just a recent example for myself. How many of them are placing orders with the ads that are displayed on that blog post that went viral? Is this one method to sort of reward people who publish blog posts about that trend? And of course, where I'm going with this is that that blog post or that post goes viral. Big media says, well, we have to follow the news that if that tr- if that's the trend, if that's the that the, if that's the hot take, publish more about it. So they get their other writers going, well, this is the keyword that's going. We're gonna focus in on this keyword. All of a sudden you got another writer, five writers on it, ten writers, you got 10, 15, 20, 100 writers across all the major media outlets because they're not gonna lose a big story because of because of what? I mean, they're not going to fall behind the other mainstream media just because, oh, well, we don't believe the numbers. If they see the numbers, that they see the hits on the the website, they're going to publish an article anyway. Again, raising the ad price? raise Is it raising the uh, the revenue of the companies placing the ads? Maybe not. But it does for the, the people who are posting the, the blog posts. 
they will get money because the ad companies will pay to place their ads in front of eyeballs. It's another, I mean, it's a soft war almost. It's a soft battle. And anyone can do this. This is, this is not the purview of some, you know, nefarious state. This is just typical. This is modern internet. This is the beauty of the internet. This is the terribleness of the internet. I don't know. Yes. So that idea came to me today, thinking about, you know, the this Russian propaganda, uh, U.S. propaganda, Chinese propaganda, you name it. Name the big country that you want to point your finger at. I'm sure they have these divisions somewhere. Because if I've thought of it, I'm sure they've thought of it already. I'm assuming, right? Why not? What about net zero? So this is the other thing that came up with this article, this new energy order uh, article. Net zero doesn't mean there won't be pollution, And it doesn't mean that there won't still be an increase in overall temperatures around the world. This conversation doesn't seem to be hitting uh, many anywhere. I mean, it's not as if they're looking to reverse climate change. They're just trying to go net zero, which a couple weeks ago, I was talking about carbon credits. Did you ever look that up on, on the Economist explainer vid about how carbon credits are actually traded around the world? So it doesn't matter... If you if your company actually meets its uh, its targets, it's can your company buy the carbon credits from another company, and therefore net out their uh, their their progress, net out their uh, exposure. I mean, your company might be going ten thousand billion cubic whatevers or ten thousand cubics whatever whatever it is, um, you know, bad stuff into the air. But then they buy, you know, 15,000 worth of cubic credits, uh, carbon credits from another company. All of a sudden, they are negative 5,000 cubic whatevers in terms of being helping climate change, helping pollution. Even though the same amount of coal dust is still going into the air. And I'm not just pointing fingers at coal dust. I mean, coal dust is one of them. But all the other industrial pollutants that go into the air. <sighs> Net zero doesn't mean there won't be pollution. Net zero won't mean there won't be extra heat. There you go. How's that for a uh, rather politically charged, geopolitically charged rave and rant today? Elon Musk has his Twitter and I have my podcast. Who gets more eyeballs? (laughs) Oh, well. Anyway, two other things here. If you want a good workout, so I did manage to uh, get the uh, double workouts in today. Um, one thing I found uh, that's been very good to uh, make something simple a little bit more difficult, it's similar to if you ever go work out on a beach, but it's very difficult to get a sandbox here. Even uh, if you have a yoga mat, it's very similar to that that sort of texture, but it's not as much, uh, not as much of an effect as if you were to use a stack of towels, two or three towels stacked up. You stand on that, you balance on that, and then you do your workout, either one leg, two legs, whatever, but now all of a sudden, it's like standing on sand. I have found that if I do something like this, and you have like a, what do you call it, like a bar or a stick, you attach some of the weights, lighter weights, Not don't you don't have to go heavy with this. This is the, this is the beauty of this, is if you're standing on one leg, balancing on one leg, you have a bar with 
two or three weights on it, you know, one, two, three kilos on one end. So it's offset. And then you try to move around like that. You, you turn your body holding this, uh, this bar above your head or something like that. I'll tell you, you feel it. It doesn't seem like it's very hard, but balancing on a couple of towels, holding a stick with weight above your head. <laughs> Try it. Let me know how you get on with that one. The other thing, Delta reading. Yes, um, I'm going to have to talk about this uh, tomorrow because I was actually... Uh, I, I Part of this is that I am sort of formulating my own ideas about this halfway through this course right now. I'm taking this Delta Module 1 course. Lots of reading uh, that I'm doing for it. And I've, I've hit the testing chapter, the testing um, yeah, chapter, basically, of, of the units. And it talks a lot about how ineffective a lot of tests are, especially tests that are made by teachers, because uh, test teachers don't always understand how to make a test, how to make a proper test, uh, usually because of time restrictions and because of um, uh, even curriculum uh, restrictions or requirements. But how necessary are tests and how fair are these tests if you've ever taken a language proficiency test let's put it this way do you want to be able to scam your way through a test by charming the examiner and i'm like i'm thinking like even hsk next year they're going to institute a spoken ver uh, um, all four skills uh, in the Chinese, in, in the HSK uh, exam will be tested. So it's going to be reading, writing, listening, and speaking. Do you want to charm your way into an HSK 5 based on, you know, it, not your language abilities, but, you know, what you wear that day, how you kind of flirt with the examiner or something? I mean, you're just, it's just a Chinese test, or even like if it was a uh, Ukrainian language proficiency test for like the European, um, what do you call it, the CIFR, a common European framework uh, for languages, that one, even English, I mean, IELTS and TOEFL do the same thing, don't they? Well, uh, TOEFL doesn't do face-to-face, -face. IELTS still does face-to-face, -face, or at least they used to, uh, they've gone more to computer base as far as I understand. But with Mandarin Chinese, uh, have they gone, will they be going face-to-face? -face? No, that is going to be a computerized test as well. Hmm. Maybe this is an obsolete argument. Maybe with the advent of computerized testing, you can no, no longer charm your way into a good uh, grade based on your how you conducted yourself during the day rather than based on your actual language proficiency. I'll talk more about this and the, the Delta progress I've made so far uh, probably tomorrow, okay? We'll leave it there. Thanks, folks, for, uh, for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, show notes and tracks up on my website, stevensersky.com. Uh, and as always, if you have any questions or comments, get in touch either through my website or hit me up on one of the socials. you find my name also, my new newsletter, stevensersky.substack is now available. You can sub subscribe to that, and I will try to uh, not spam you too much with uh, the great written words of my thinks and thoughts. All right, folks, thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Have a good one. Bye-bye.